0: Welcome to the Game Changers Pharmacotherapy Podcast, where we navigate the most important changes that affect pharmacotherapy, plus you can earn pharmacy and medicine CE credit. We know you're busy, so use your time effectively by listening, learning, and claiming credit. It's a new way to learn. Just log to CEimpact.com for more information on podcasts. Hello, and welcome again to another episode of Game Changers Clinical Conversations. I am your host, Jeff Wall, Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Drake University. Welcome. I hope everything is going okay in your world as uh, we head toward the dog days of summer, as it were. Hopefully, where you're at, it isn't terribly hot, though I know in a lot of the Western United States, it is. uh, We've been pretty lucky here in the Midwest. So thanks for listening, as always. um, If you get a chance, uh, if you haven't had a chance to to listen to us before, uh, I hope you'd like us. And if you do, please, in fact, like us wherever you uh, listen to your podcasts, subscribe if you haven't already done that. But most importantly, head over to CE Impact and the new initiative they have, which is the Pharmacist Network TPN, not the other TPN that I think other people are used to hearing. But this is uh, actually a very nice platform for both education and communication. The way we've been talking about it is kind of a combination of LinkedIn and a place for you to also get your CE, including listening to these podcasts, which is the other thing you should go to CE Impact for, because if you sign up for the low price of 3.99 dollars a month, you get a CE, and that's CE for pharmacists, as well as CM for providers both and can't think a less expensive way to, to kind of get your CE and easier way to get your CE and helps us keep the lights on as well. So thanks very much for doing that. Today, we are going to be talking about a paper that I was telling Jake, my partner here, that's kind of burned up social media and certainly been on a lot of lay media. And that's the paper that was just recently published in the Annals of Internal Medicine that looked at treating patients with sickle cell disease and their acute pain crises, either in the emergency department or in infusion centers that have kind of a specialized area for them to treat them. And so, again, it's certainly been taking up a lot of discussion, which I think is a good thing. I think it's certainly an important issue. Uh, You know, I, like most clinicians, you know, have have kind of tried to navigate as best we can in the post-opioid crisis world we live in. And I think we've seen certainly more appropriate use of opioids for for things such as non-malignant pain issues, you know, lower back pain, things along those lines, and short-term injuries and things. Along those lines, but unfortunately, I think in this case uh, the baby was kind of caught up with the bath water because studies have definitely shown that patients with sickle cell disease have had an increasingly difficult time getting access to the pain treatment they need, and that's obviously you know not what we want, and it's a big issue. So sickle cell disease affects approximately 100,000 people in the United States, and this is unfortunately a population that traditionally is underserved by the medical community, and so because of that, any sort of advance is a good advance, is something that needs to happen now. Rather than later, I think. I was, during my residency, and this was over 20 years ago, I did rotate through a sickle cell clinic, and I was flabbergasted at, at some of the pain issues that these patients can suffer from. I mean, these people are, can be in agony when a vaso-occlusive crisis occurs. These are excruciatingly painful events that occur due to small thrombi, and that can actually lead to a whole bunch of other issues as well, uh, such as acute chest syndrome and priapism and all sorts of other stuff. But they get these episodes of excruciatingly painful events that, uh, you know, they there is no doubt opioids are the treatment of choice for them and so it's, it's as you might imagine, a big cause of admission to the hospital and to the emergency department in patients with sickle cell disease. And so, as you might imagine, someone develops a sickle cell crisis and they develop pain syndrome and they show up in the emergency room. And unfortunately, they're often faced with issues. And not to belabor the point, but certainly some of those issues were, are probably somewhat interlaced with structural racism, unfortunately. You know, again, there is this tendency, I think, in some cases to think that sickle cell patients may not really truly be in pain, that they're seekers and things along those lines. And again, the evidence is really clear that it's just not the case. These people are in dire pain and they need help right away and so because of that in 2014 uh, the guidelines for the treatment of sickle cell disease uh, were very clear about this and they said you know the clinicians should not guess whether somebody's a drug seeker or something along those lines if somebody comes in with sickle cell disease and says they're in pain you know again the only way we can tell if somebody's in pain is if they say they're in pain and you need to believe them and their guidelines basically say rapid initiation of analgesic therapy within 30 minutes of triage that's their guidelines so the gold standard by the guidelines is initiation of analgesic therapy within 30 30 minutes of admission to whatever care they're receiving um, or within 60 minutes of registration and then actually reassessment of pain every 15 to 30 minutes until the pain is controlled with opioids and so you know again the the guidelines are clear there's an emergency it's an acute issue and these people are in agony but again I think we've seen is there's been a significant shift away from using opioids as a result of the opioid crisis I suspect and there's some evidence to suggest that sickle cell patients unfortunately have suffered more than most because of that and so because because of that, uh, experts in the field have said, well, is there something else we can do? And there's been several champions in this field who have suggested that perhaps uh, these patients receiving treatment in a specialized place in an infusion center in a hospital may improve outcomes. They can get right into a chair, they can get some IV started, and they can get payment started immediately. And that might not only improve outcomes as far as their pain control, but actually may save the hospital costs because of decreased hospitalizations or ER visits. One study done in Baltimore found that the costs actually were about $1,000 less for patients who sought care for their pain crises in an infusion center versus an emergency room. Now, of course, there are strikes to that as well because there are no infusion centers I'm aware of. that are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and patients may have pain crises that don't occur 9 to 5 Monday through Friday. So it's obvious that centers aren't going to be the absolute end answer to this, but the question remains, you know, can we train and target clinicians to set up a specialized area that deals with patients with sickle cell disease, in particular with vaso-occlusive crises leading to this acute and excruciating pain? And that's where this paper that came out, again, just hot off the press three or four days ago in the Annals of Internal Medicine called the ESCAPE study. And the ESCAPE study stands for Examining Sickle Cell Acute Pain in the Emergency Versus Day Hospital Study. So, and again, it's Leave a lot of press, I think rightly so. It was a prospective observational study done in four U.S. cities. So it was done in Baltimore, Cleveland, Milwaukee, and Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I suspect these areas were chosen because some of these champions that have, have investigated using fusion centers to treat sickle cell pain crises already were practicing there and already had these kind of sites up. So that's kind of nice. And so I think that's where kind of the idea came from. They designed basically two infusion centers solely for the care of patients with sickle cell disease and two shared infusion space with the heme-onc section, of course, most heme-onc centers or clinics have a very large infusion center. So they also, of course, were located in hospitals that had emergency departments. They note that in Baltimore, the emergency department has actually a fast-track system for patients with sickle cell disease, which is good, and they're given priority over patients in a special 15-bed observation unit where they can be immediately assessed and hopefully treated very, very quickly. So in this study, this was a prospective study where they included any patient over age 18 with sickle cell disease, they could have sickle cell disease of any genotype, and they just needed to live within 16 miles of a treatment center. They excluded patients who did not have frequent vasoclusive crises, so had well-controlled disease, who did not have a lot of exacerbations, and they excluded pregnant patients. And what they did was they followed patients for 18 months with the expectation prospectively, during this time, this population would have at least one or two acute care visits for sickle cell vaso-occlusive crisis based on data they had gotten from other big databases patients that unfortunately did not have well controlled sickle cell disease that there was likely they would probably be seen emergently for vaso-occlusive crisis at some point they did not collect data of on any of the other vasoclusive crisis uh, sequelae so they didn't look at patients who then went on to develop acute chest syndrome or stroke or anything along those lines They did know they could not make infusion centers open 24 hours a day, so some patients in presenting a pain necessarily sought care at another site. The primary outcome of the study then after following these patients for 18 months was the time to first dose of parenteral pain medication, whether the patients went to the emergency department or whether they went to the infusion center. They used a propensity score matching to account for possible differences in characteristics of patients seeking care in infusion centers versus emergency departments. And so that helped to balance the two groups, since it would have been pretty difficult to to randomly assign these patients and they used a wide variety of characteristics for this propensity score model. What they ended up finding was that the entire cohort had about 3,027 eligible acute care costs, 1,558 were in the emergency department, and 1,469 were in infusion center. So when they took a look again at all the patients with sickle cell disease who had a basal occlusive crisis that caused significant pain that required visiting, they found out about half of them ended up in acute care, some sort of acute care, usually emergency departments, and then half of them ended up in infusion center. Again, the primary outcome was, again, time to, to that first pain uh, treatment. And again, remember the guidelines say that within 30 minutes is when triage is when you should start it, or within 60 minutes of being assessed, you should have pain medication started. So in this study, there were the majority of patients were female. They had the standard sickle cell disease genotype. That was the majority. It is worth noting that this is an underserved population. The majority made less than 20,000 a year. So again, these are patients who are underserved and need help. And of note, only 63% were taking hydroxyurea. That's a whole nother discussion we could have talking about how important it is for sickle cell patients to take hydroxyurea, but also discussing some of the issues that sickle cell patients have with hydroxyurea. And that's kind of another issue. So they were, I think, surprised by the number of visits per patient. Remember that they had estimated at least one to two visits for each patient 18 months. Actually, the mean number of visits per patient was 5.4 and the median was three. So even more pain crises and more seeking care than investigators thought it would, would be. So then coming to the primary outcome, the mean time to first dose of the parenteral pain medication was 62 minutes in the infusion center and 132 minutes in an emergency department. And that was statistically significant. I, you know, Again, that's nice that it was statistically significant, but I think we could all recognize that it was significantly longer to receiving that first dose of parenteral pain medication in the emergency department as it was in the infusion center. And they looked at a variety of, of other scenarios. They looked uh, based on each individual site, including the Baltimore site that had the fast track and even there in the infusion center, they were more likely to receive pain medication within that goal of the guidelines than this fast track so that's pretty interesting I think they also found that even despite the lack of time opening of infusion centers they found that on the whole uh, patients who were in infusion centers did receive uh, faster uh, care and and faster time to that first pain medication this was the primary study now I suspect there's going to be several studies they're doing an ongoing review of these patients and my guess is they're also going to be looking at other things like quality of life and things along those lines but this paper was just really kind. of describing, in general, can infusion centers do the job of getting patients assessed and getting their first pain medication quicker? I think we will look down the road and see, you know, were these patients likely to have higher quality of life? Were they less likely to seek out emergency departments, especially when they knew infusion centers were open, things along those lines? But the authors kind of discuss some of the reasons why there was a significant difference in time to first pain medication in these patients. And so we're talking about the paper recently published in the Annals of Internal Medicine, that's found that sickle cell patients who have acute pain crises or basal occlusive crises who seek care in an infusion center that's dedicated to that compared to an emergency department, were more likely to reach the goal guidelines of having uh, their first pain medication. Again, the the guidelines say 30 minutes, but they were able to do it in 60 minutes in infusion centers and and about 132 minutes in an emergency department. So the authors kind of speculate on why this may be. Certainly, I think we would all know that if you've designed an infusion center with people who are specialized, you know, and again, it doesn't have to be hematologists who are specialized in treating sickle cell care. But if you have nurses, nurse clinicians, pharmacists who have learned and have some education about sickle cell disease and understand the importance of, of treatment and understanding aggressive opioid therapy, I think that that plays a big, big role. And, and again, I think this is certainly a role for pharmacists, for those pharmacists listening, that, you know, if you're in a place where you have a significant number of patients with sickle cell disease, it's a time to take a look at your own data. It's a time to take a look at your own hospital's data and say, you know, it seems like we're having a difficult time reaching these guidelines. Is it not only only good for the patient, but may actually be, as as I said, previous studies suggested cost effective to at least while your infusion center is open, have a dedicated chair to in the infusion center to patients with with sickle cell disease. That obviously is going to require some educational outreach to say, look, you you know, if you have sickle cell disease and we're open, please come to us first instead of going to the emergency department and things along those lines. So I think that's certainly, you know, an issue is certainly if you're going to set up a system that is dedicated to treat patients with sickle cell disease, they're obviously going to be more alert to these patients, more comfortable with treating them with opioids, and being aggressive with opioids when necessary. And that means, of course, these patients get priority, which is something that, if you read some media discussion around this paper, is something that I think is, is crucial here, is that these patients are in acute pain. It is excruciating pain, and if you've not had a basal-occlusive crisis, you know, I think it's hard for anyone who hasn't had it to say or understand what kind of pain these patients can be going through. And so if somebody comes in and, you know, they were in a car accident and their arm was chopped off, everybody agrees, hey, you're going to be a lot of pain, we got to get aggressive in treating your pain. Unfortunately, these patients don't have any outward trauma, so it's a little bit more difficult. We have to say, yes, you have sickle cell disease, you've come in with an acute pain crisis, you are going to get priority for treatment, and that's exactly what happens in these infusion centers. These clinicians, again, are comfortable with opioid treatment. Again, not saying that emergency room clinicians are not, certainly emergency physicians give, give opioids all the time. But one thing I learned during my stint in a sickle cell clinic was that aggressive opioid treatment is often necessary for these patients. And yes, you want to be careful about you know things like respiratory depression, but being aggressive in these patients is important. And again, assessing every 15 to 30 minutes and increasing the dose if necessary is really what needs to happen. And so I think clinicians who are experienced in rapid and aggressive IV opioid treatment um, and also other treatments as well are going to obviously be more likely to reach the goal of getting pain control quicker and getting that first dose to people. And then the last thing the, the uh, authors suggest is that there is probably an undertone, especially with a lot of patients with sickle cell disease of a lack of compassion. They feel there's a lack of compassion and trust from the clinicians they're seeing. And that's actually backed up a bit by the literature. There's been some studies that have suggested that four out of five patients who have sickle cell disease and have a crisis basically try to tough it out at home rather than go to the emergency room because they just feel like they're not going to get good care. And, and again, I'm not saying that's true. I'm just saying that's the impression of these patients. And that's obviously wrong. We, we have to change that. And so if we can say, look, we hear you. We know you're in pain. We think this is important. We know it's important. We need to aggressively treat this. That's going to be very important. And I think, uh, you know, a couple of trips in an infusion center where they get there and say, you know, hello, I, I'm having a Q pain crisis. And everyone believes them. They immediately, you know, start, you know, assessing you immediately get you into the chair, start an IV, get some IV medication started, assess you, and continue to assess you, that's gonna build trust. And I think when that happens, I think that uh, patients are gonna be more likely to to trust the clinicians who are taking care of them and are gonna be more likely to go to them maybe even earlier before they're in excruciating pain and maybe catch the vasoclusive crisis before it gets too bad. Also, this may have some role in the increasing compliance with hydroxyurea. It's been suggested that in some cases patients Don't take hydroxyurea not necessarily because of the side effects which can occur, but because of mistrust of the healthcare system. If we can show these patients compassion and show that we, you know, we do trust them, you know, after they've had a couple of these crises, we can say, well, you know, there is this medication you can take, and it's not going to make things perfect, but it will definitely decrease the number of acute pain crises you have, a number of basal occlusive crises you have. Will they be more likely to take it? So, that's some of the speculation some of the authors of the paper had. Um, again, I, all those could be possible. I think they need to be studied, um, and I'm sure uh, that this group of, of authors will be looking at a number of analyses with this cohort of patients. And I'm sure some of that will fall under the realm of, of social science and looking at some of the things associated with compassion, trust, some of the structural and institutional issues that keep sickle cell patients from getting the pain medication they need. So, bottom line, you know, this this is a, a very interesting study, and, and basically shows that we can do better. And I think we can set up that even though they're not open 24 hours, seven days a week, can do a better job of getting these patients the the care they need in a more rapid fashion. And that's something that I think and I hope many healthcare systems will be taking a look at here in the not too distant future. So, so that's it for this week. Thanks very much for listening. Again, uh, hit that like button, please subscribe. And most importantly, head over to CE Impact and uh, take a look at the wide variety of, of great programs they have, including this program for a very low price. You can get CE for just hearing me talk. So hopefully that isn't too painful. So thanks very much we will see you next week and remember that time flies i don't know where it's going but the most important day is today we'll see you later thanks for listening in check out the ce for this podcast at ceimpact.com or download the pharmacy network app by searching CE Impact in your app store and join the game changers podcast academy happy learning